the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. program. It's Tuesday. I almost said it was Monday. I'll explain that in a moment. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything that's on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, especially today, I understand that in some parts of our city, The roads are really, really flooded, so please be careful. But you can use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, want a quick apology for yesterday's program. We were here, we were ready to go, and my producer had a mini medical emergency about an hour before the program. We've got a bunch of kids and our other kind of backup producers uh, at, at youth camp. So we didn't have anybody else to do it. And I am the least technical person you've ever met in your life. So I couldn't do it on our own. But we are here today live. We love your phone calls and your questions. Let's start with some questions that have been sent in. Here's a question from Anonymous from our email inbox. It says, if we are in the presence of Jesus when we die, why would the dead need to be raised at the rapture? Thank you, Pastor Ron. Uh, Anonymous, the dead, of course, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So when Christians die, we instantly go into the presence of the Lord. Um, I'm going to give you two possibilities. The first one is, I don't think, the correct one, but there are lots of people who believe differently, and uh, they believe that when we go to be with the Lord, we're in our spirit bodies, and then um, at the rapture of the church, our uh, our physical bodies are somehow raised uh, and reunited with our spirit, uh, and I just don't believe that's the case. But there's a lot of people who believe that. Um, when when Paul, writing to the church of Thessalonica, says we won't precede those, the King James says prevent, and it meant something very different when the King James was written. But it says we will not precede those who have uh, died in the Lord. That just means they're already there. So uh, the dead will be raised. Um, um, the moment they're with, the moment they, they leave this body, um, then they're going to be with Jesus. And then at the rapture of the church, um, Jesus will meet us in the air. And then we will go be reunited with uh, those who have gone before us. Uh, when Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, 
he was dealing with a very specific uh, false teaching. And you can imagine uh, in Thessalonica, Paul only spent four weeks with them or just short of four weeks with them. And, um, you know, the rapture was a big part of, of what he was teaching. And they really expected that, that, that the Lord would return. But over some time, as people began to die, the false teachers in Thessalonica were saying that, well, if they died and Jesus isn't back here, they just missed out and, and they're not going to be able to go to heaven. And, and Paul is simply correcting that. We will not precede those who have fallen asleep in him uh, because they're already with him. So, Anonymous, that's the answer. Thank you very, very much. And we all ought to be praying, Jesus, come quickly. Here is a question from Priscilla. It's not often I get a question that I've never got. Here's one of them. I recently found out that my unsaved brother follows Ayn Rand's philosophy. I read a few things about her, but don't understand any of it. Over the years, I've talked to him about the Lord, and he just won't listen. What do you know about her? Um, what I know about her, Paul wrote about her. Uh, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Um, if if Christ isn't raised dead, then let's eat, drink, and be merry. That was really Ayn Rand's philosophy. Um, it, it was foolish from her perspective to suffer for others or expect anybody to suffer for you, that the only purpose of life was to live life to the fullest, be abundantly blessed. She was sort of an ancient version of uh, a prosperity teacher. Um, but Priscilla, this is absolutely nothing new. Uh, this is hedonism. Uh, Paul deals with that in some of his letters, um, this people living for the pleasure of the moment, doing what they want and not considering nor caring about anyone else at all. And again, this is nothing new. This is the way that people have been living apart from Christ forever and ever. So, um, she just, because of a book she's written, she just has a little bit of traction out there, but, but very few people, very few people, um, really are followers of Ayn Rand. I will say one thing in approaching uh, that your unsaved brother uh, regarding this is all you can do is share the gospel with him. Uh, don't try to convince him. Just say, look, um, I know why what I believe is true. What I believe is true based on evidence. It's not just faith. It's based on overwhelming evidence. And you can't say the same thing about Ayn Rand's philosophy. So you better be sure because the price you're going to pay is eternity in hell. And I think you need to be that direct with them, Priscilla. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Pray for your brother. Here is a question. This one is from uh, Travis from our email inbox. And he says, are there scriptures in the Bible that tell the church body to pray for the rapture? Um, not specifically a, a scripture that says to pray for the rapture, but, but we're to long for the return of the Lord. So um, it's a wonderful prayer. It's the prayer of faith. It's the prayer of expectation. Um, uh, Jesus is coming soon. We all need to be ready for it. Uh, but the rapture is going to happen when the rapture happens. Um, what we're praying for, Travis, is that, that people get saved. Uh, Paul and I regularly pray that, Lord, today or tonight, whatever the particular service is, might be the last one to get saved. And, and that last one that gets saved, then you'll be here. And so that's sort of a prayer for the rapture. But but uh, we're told uh, in the, the book of Revelation, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. So it's certainly not contrary to the Bible to pray for the rapture of the church. Um, what we need to do is be ready, because at any moment, Jesus could come. Thank you for that question, Travis. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Uh, toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Marty wants to know what is my position on medical marijuana. Marty, um, it's never okay to, uh, to to use drugs like that. It's never okay uh, to open your mind to uh, mind altering substances. The, the enemy. Um, We'll, we'll capitalize on that opening. 
Um, one of the problems with medical marijuana is people that want to get high, uh, they'll find any excuse to do it. So, well, I, I'll get a doctor's prescription, and it's medical marijuana. It's always sin. It's always sin, uh, Marty, and that's just something that um, whatever your position is, everybody has to deal with. It's just never okay. It's never okay. Stephen says, oh, this is a tough one. Is it okay to attend my gay sister's wedding? Um, Stephen, I can't tell you what to do. I can tell you um, what a biblical position is. A wedding is a celebration. And the people that go to celebrate that wedding are affirming that wedding. Now, I have people that have over the years said, well, you know, it's family and, and uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's, it's complicated and um, I, my sibling wants me to be there uh, on the special day. Um, but, you know, they, they think nothing of asking us to violate uh, our conscience when it comes to the, the, the matters of faith. Um, and then they get offended if, if we won't violate our conscience. I simply don't think it's ever okay to celebrate a wedding that is born and wrapped in sin, a, a, a lifestyle that is going to lead, uh, in this case, to your sisters uh, spending eternity in hell. And Stephen, I think sometimes, I'm sorry, Steve, not Stephen, I think sometimes what we have to do is we've got to be willing to risk human relationships in order to witness uh, to the veracity of our gospel. You know, if you go to this gay wedding, everything that you've ever said to your sister about Jesus uh, is invalidated in her mind. They will learn how much your faith really means to you at that particular moment. And so what you have to do is make a decision. Am I going to do what my sister wants me to do or am I going to do what Jesus wants me to do? And Steve... As Christians, we have no choice. We always have to do what um, Jesus wants us to do. So uh, it is not okay. Um, You know, you can spiritualize it and you can say things like, uh, well, you know, I can go there and I can be a witness or, uh, you know, I'm just keeping the door open for future conversation. If uh, you give any um, form of approval to this wedding, then your witness, your testimony has gone right out the door because she's going to find out what your Jesus really means to you and she's going to know that she means more to you than Jesus does. I know it's difficult. I know it's painful. I know that many in your family probably won't talk to you again. But they will all know how important Jesus is to you. So no, it's not okay. It's not okay. Here is somebody called into our studio anonymously. Uh, was Jesus quoting Psalm 22 when he was abandoned at the cross? Yes, he was. Um, the, the, the Psalm uh, has always been viewed as uh, messianic uh, by Jews. And uh, yes, it was. Uh, he's quoting Psalm 22. Now, there's a couple of things going on. Uh, Jesus was... Um, truly asking his father to forgive them of their sins. Um, th- this is a, a statement that 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 would have seared uh, Saul of Tarsus's heart from the moment he heard it. Make no mistake, Saul of Tarsus, later to become the apostle Paul, was there. Stephen actually uh, emulated this when when Saul was giving approval to his death. Uh, Stephen said, "Father, lay not this charge to their account." And, and and he couldn't have understood this. So, yes, he was asking for forgiveness, even though they knew what they were doing. Um, they didn't know the depth and the gravity. They didn't understand that they were murdering the one that they claimed to have been waiting for. So, yes, he was he was really, really evangelizing those people. It's almost like, okay, uh, you know Psalm 22 is um, a messianic, and from his lips, um, Psalm 22 came out, and he was giving them one last chance to recognize uh, who he was. Personally, and this is just my opinion, I, we don't know, you know, we know that, that uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea 
uh, were were uh, came out publicly with their faith. Uh, they were secret disciples, um, but we don't know whether they they came out of their secret discipleship when they heard this psalm quoted or not. But yes, that's that's why he was doing it. But he was also acknowledging as a human, Jesus was God, but he was human. He was acknowledging as a human that um, for the first time ever, he and his father had no fellowship. As Jesus became sin, the father turned his back. For the first time, Jesus knew what it was like. For the only time, Jesus knew what it was like to be alone on that cross. It's pretty heavy when you really think about it. I always say there's three things that Jesus couldn't understand. He couldn't understand being abandoned by his Father. I mean, the Triune God has had perfect unity forever before there was a forever. They had perfect unity. They were perfectly in sync, heart, mind, just perfectly in sync. Jesus couldn't understand finality. He couldn't understand death. He simply couldn't understand what it would be like to die. And he was going to experience that as a human. And third, and I think this was was as bad as, as being forsaken by his father, he couldn't um, understand what it felt like for his pure, holy personage to be contaminated with your sin and mine. That's a pretty heavy event on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Thank you for the question. Diana says, um, Pastor on in First John 5, what is a sin that leads unto death? Diana, uh, I'll give you an example. Ananias and Sapphira were guilty of a sin that leads to death. Um, they, their, their introduction, the devil using them uh, to um, introduce hypocrisy into God's perfect church. Um, um, God made a statement about how he views hypocrisy in the church. No, he doesn't kill people anymore the way he killed them. But he let everybody know once and forever that this is how he feels. He feels the same about it today as he felt about it um, when Ananias and Sapphira were killed in the first century. Um, so that was a sin unto death. I've I've known people who uh, otherwise appeared healthy and suddenly died, and, and they died. There was a, a lifestyle that they were uh, leading that was duplicitous and and um, God, I, I, I believe, I have, to, I have to categorize this as my opinion, I believe that they were examples of um, a sin that leads to death. God simply sparing them from crossing any lines or further compromising their witness. I had a question on the program last week about Lonnie Frisbee, who was um, um, certainly a key figure in the Jesus uh, movement days, um, Calvary Chapel uh, kind of was at this vanguard of of the the Jesus People revival, and Lonnie Frisbee was a man that God used in miraculous ways, um, truly gifted. Um, that the people that I know that knew Lonnie well. Uh, talk about him and you know it's just like Lonnie there was just this power of love that was emanating from him and they watched him um, be used by God to perform miracles well Lonnie drifted away Lonnie fell back into a homosexual lifestyle uh, and and as a young man unfortunately he he died so so a sin unto death it's not a a sin that necessarily is going to send somebody to hell but it is a sin that uh, God simply can't put up with anymore. So, Diana, I hope that answers your question. We have no idea if anybody's in that position, and so probably it's better uh, just not to speculate as I just did. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here, live calls and questions. Oop, I thought I had a caller on the line, but I don't. So here's the next question. This is from Richard. 
Um, how and why did a loving God create the world we've inherited that is so evil? I was watching the news about the Maui fires and the Los Angeles smash and grab at Nordstrom's. Why doesn't God do something? You know, this is the cry from our heart. You know, we, we cry out, oh, God, stop this. God, justice. We want justice. Um, the reality is, is that that day is coming, Richard, but that day is just not now. The world that we live in has been given over to sin. Um, Jesus has the answer for the sin of individuals, but a time is coming when God is going to demand justice. Now, why isn't it today? Well, I can tell you for one thing, you know, if, if God demanded justice today, if he demanded the world uh, to, to, to live uprightly and they didn't, then people would die. Today, they would die. Um, the, the, the man who's looking at pornography, the, the, the man or the woman that's cheating, uh, the, the man or the woman that is involved in a homosexual relationship, the man who's a drunk or a drug addict, um, the, the, the man who curses another human being who Jesus died for. All of those things would have to be dealt with instantly in, 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 in view of his holiness. Um, a day is coming. It's just not now. Peter says that God is patient, unwilling that any should perish. We also know that there is a limited number of Gentiles, non-Jews, who are going to be saved before that justice is uh, exacted. So, Richard, he's coming. Um, justice will be served. But in the meantime, don't blame God for the evil in this world. God wasn't at Nordstrom's in Los Angeles. God's not on the streets with the homeless population taking over the city, that, not just that city, but, but many of our major cities. Uh, God's not responsible for these terrible things that happen. Certainly God wasn't responsible for the Maui fires. God has the answer for those things, and the answer is Jesus. And individually, and this is what God is doing now, he's dealing with individuals not dealing with the masses, not dealing with nations. He's dealing with individuals. And every single individual, Richard, everyone can turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And then God can use us to be lights in this dark world. But the world is going to get dark. Since you brought up Maui, let me give you a report. We got a report today, actually, uh, Calvary Chapel pastor's from uh, Pastor Steve Santos, who has been a pastor in Maui, uh, in Lahai, for uh, more than 20 years. Um, uh, and it really was the first opportunity where they had um, um, access to the Internet, Wi-Fi access, and uh, they've been without power for, for a long time, and, and the power sporadically is back on and off. Uh, but he just described a scene that is horrific. Believe it or not, his church was spared. I mean, his church is standing, um, but his church was spared uh, from being destroyed. However, they won't be able to use that that building for probably at least two years um, uh, if the city is rebuilt. And, and I think that's the plan uh, because of toxic uh, cyanide fumes and and just the, some of the effects of the of the fire. He said there are thousands still missing. Uh, many of those people were able to leave and not able to be back in touch, but there are, there are people still missing uh, in Lahai. Uh, it is um, um, overwhelming. Uh, he said every day is the same. Uh, you, you get up after a little tiny bit of sleep uh, and you start grieving and you start ministering to the people that are there. Uh, it's too early, he said, even to send help. Uh, there's just they're not even ready for people to come in and help. And uh, you know the church is really good at sending people in uh, to help and clean up after kind of tragedies like this. So uh, please pray for Pastor Steve. Pray for his congregation that that uh, even in the middle of their grief, he said. He doesn't know anyone who hasn't been touched by this in terms of, of losing somebody or or somebody still missing. 
Um, um, and he just asked for prayer. He said, right now, that's that's all you can do. Uh, this is a very, very painful uh, situation. Uh, and a part of it, of course, is that it looks like there is no end. It's sort of one of those things that are so total, um, um, the destruction so complete uh, that it's like, okay, well, where would we start and how is this going to possibly be uh, fixed? It just, it's just a, a terrible, terrible, terrible disaster and uh, we need to pray for him. So Richard, God didn't start that fire and God isn't the one who is um, robbing people and and uh, creating these horrible things. So don't put this on God. He is going to stop it. Holiness, justice is going to be done. Um, but but that's an appointed day that you and I don't know the time of. So Richard, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Well, we are at the end of the first half hour of our Tuesday show. 340-9585 or toll free... 877-630-KSLR. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. I will be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Tuesday show, 340-9585. Remember, you guys are way more interesting than I am, so we'd love your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Anna. She said, why did God create us? What's our purpose in life? Um, Anna, this is the easiest question that I ever get. Uh, And believe it or not, I get it quite often. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says that we were created for his good pleasure. We were created to live our lives not just for him. That's what it says, but literally toward him. That means everything is toward him. We were created to bring God pleasure. Now, that's a meaningful life. And on anything else that we do, away from that, that's why there's so much misery. That's why people that are fabulously rich and fabulously successful, it's why they uh, drink themselves uh, to death. It's why they do drugs. It's why they have a bunch of marriages uh, and why many of them ultimately take their own lives. It's because we're doing that which is contrary to the purpose of our life. So there's no other purpose. Our purpose isn't to have fun. It's not to be happy. It's certainly not to be prosperous in a material sense. Uh, our lives are to be lived toward him. Everything that we do, all the decisions that we make, all of the plans that we make, all of them are to be um, toward Jesus. And uh, when we surrender our life uh, to him, then and only then do we realize that abundant life, that that meaningful, purposeful life that we have been promised by the Lord. Uh, Anything else is going to be frustrated by God himself because God has more for each and every one of us than we can possibly imagine. So, Anna, um, that's why he created us. And when you do that, and, you know, in our human little minds... We will, well, how can I be happy if I don't know what it is I'm supposed to do? If you live your life toward Jesus, your life will be rich and fulfilled even in those times you have no idea where you're going. Thank you for the question, Anna. We've got a phone call on line one, Lee from San Antonio. Lee, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Yes, Pastor Ron, um, I have a question for you, um, and it's uh, right before the fall. When uh, God told Adam and Eve uh, not to eat from the fruit of the garden, mm-hmm. did they have a did they have a a, a a knowledge of good and evil at the time before before they partook? And when did when did man actually receive consciousness of their own sin? 
Yeah, good question, Lee. Was it before the fall or after the fall? Yeah, it, it was uh, actually when when Adam and, and and Adam is the the federal head, so he's the one that is accountable to God for the sin. Uh, he became aware of his sin as soon as the sin occurred. So let let me give you sort of a a, a, a timeline. Um, when when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the middle of a garden. He said to them, uh, every tree, every plant is here for food. It's good. You can eat from every plant except this one. And that one tree, of course, was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So at that point, um, Adam and Eve knew only good. They knew nothing about evil at all. Now, obviously, um, God, God gives us a choice to make. And so the reason God put that one tree and forbid them to eat it, eat from it, was to give Adam and Eve a choice. Are you going to obey God? I always get back to Jesus saying, if you love me, you will obey me. Uh, Are you going to obey me or are you going to do what you want? And that's why Satan was permitted to enter the serpent. Now, Satan was not a serpent. He entered the serpent and uh, and Eve was um, deceived. And and that's when um, um, Adam became aware of of his sin. Now we know he was aware of his sin because uh, when God came looking for Adam, and that's just human language to describe uh, an infinite God, um, he came looking at Adam. Adam, where art thou, Adam? And Adam said, "Well, we're here and we're hiding. We're naked and embarrassed or ashamed. Uh, that that was a result of." their awareness of sin. Same thing happens today, Lee. We do stuff, we run away from God because we know instinctively we can't be in the presence of God. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve. The glory of God departed. Now, they were always naked, but but they were clothed with the glory, the Shekinah of God. And the minute they sinned and they saw that they were naked, Uh, They were aware of two things. They were aware of the gravity of their sin and they were aware uh, and they were aware of the consequence of their sin uh, for the very first time. They were trying to cover themselves up with fig leaves, Lee, uh, that demonstrates the, the, um, the, the sort of the weak way that we approach our own sin uh, all these thousands of years later. Good question, Lee. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question. This one comes from Philip. He says, is there a way I can confront someone in sin without offending them? Philip, almost certainly not. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think we should worry so much about this. You know, we, we want to approach people. We want them to still to like us. And we want them to know that we love them. And, uh, but the reality is when people are in sin and their hearts are hard, and they're running away from God, uh, they're always going to be offended because they don't want people telling them what to do. Not even God. They don't want even God telling them what to do. What did Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? When, when God told him the trouble he was about to get in. When we confront someone, um, it's going to offend them. And as believers, we've got to be prepared for that, Philip. And the only way we can be prepared for that is to understand that Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They insulted me, they're going to insult you. And our only responsibility, Philip, is to make sure before the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we're, when we're talking to somebody, when we're confronting somebody in sin, that we're doing it in love. Now, they may say, uh, you're judging me. It's always amazing how they quote Bible Judge not, lest ye be judged, they say. Uh, But the reality is it doesn't matter what they know or what they say. What matters is what God knows about your heart. And it takes a lot of love. It takes a lot of courage to go to somebody who is in sin, knowing you're risking the relationship with them that you've invested in, and um, um, knowing that that you're going to be an outcast as a result of it. But... That's exactly what Jesus told us to do. So that's the way you do it. So the only thing I can tell you, Philip, is to stop worrying about offending people and just tell them the truth in love. And when they're offended, you won't be surprised uh, because you kind of expected it. 
The cross of Jesus Christ is an offense. It always has been and it always will be. And the world absolutely hates it because the world likes to sin. Jesus said in his best judge voice, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Men hated the light because their deeds were evil. They loved the darkness. And so why would we worry about whether or not they're going to be offended? Again, I realize, I'm not being naive here, I realize we want to be liked, we don't want to rock the boat, but the reality is if somebody's in sin, you've got to go tell them to stop it. And that's what's going to offend them. Chuck says, Pastor Ron, what will Jesus add to our lives if we seek first his kingdom? Um, Chuck, that's interesting. I've not uh, been asked the question this way. Uh, everything will be added to our lives. Um, Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, the things that we think we need, the things that we're looking for, the things that we think will will make us happy and fulfill us. Uh, Jesus says, uh, you you come to me, you seek my righteousness and uh, I'll take care of the other things in your life that you think you can't live without. So that's the answer, Chuck. And, and, and the, the problem is the only way to experience this is to surrender to Jesus Christ. I dealt with this question uh, sort of uh, in the first half of the program today. Um, when you surrender to the Lord, you're going to find out all the things that God adds. Let me tell you a quick story. I don't have a, anybody waiting on the line at this moment. But, um, you know, when, when uh, I told Paula, that the Lord was sending us to um, Texas, to San Antonio. Um, you know, she's leaving her kids. She's leaving the friends that we had, but but it was mostly our kids. And God gave her Isaiah 54, single barren woman, um, uh, the whole chapter actually. And, and, and uh, God has added to Paula, yeah, we left our children behind, our blood children, but God has given us a family. Paula's mama, Paula to everybody. God has given us a family that we never could have dreamed. He's given us a life that is, is not just meaningful and purposeful, but it's a life that's rich and passionate. So he added all of those things, the things that we can't add. So, Chuck, that's what he's doing. He will add everything that's missing if you'll just give him that opportunity. Good question. Let's go to line one and talk with Greg from Bulverde. Greg, you getting wet out there? Oh, man, we got some good rain up here. That's good. nice. But, you know, it soaked up like a sponge. It's almost like it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, listen, I, you you know my story. You know the situation here. Uh, just hypothetically here, just trying to get an idea of what to look for, uh, direction, you know, Satan getting in the middle of this, you know. If, hypothetically, someone, godly woman, crossed my path, caught my attention, you know, we had a good conversation, would that be... Satan trying to circumvent what God told me back in June 18th. Yeah, Greg, uh, this is going to be a little confusing, but I know you'll understand. Uh, we've had conversations about this. Um, no, it wouldn't. Uh, if, if Satan, believe me, the devil's not going to bring you a godly woman. Now, if, if, if a woman shows up and she's not godly and she's leading you, you know, in the way of temptation and uh, and she doesn't really want to, that much to do with the Lord. You know, clearly that's the enemy. Um, but, um, you know, we want to be so exact. Um, we hear things from the Lord. Uh, the Spirit bears witness to us. Um, but, but you know, that we've, got, we've always got to leave open the possibility that, that we were wrong. Uh, maybe and and again, this is not me speaking authoritatively to your situation but but uh maybe in some cases um god is is keeping you in the place you 're at to give that other person a chance to come to him and get right uh, but God always knows our hearts, he always knows where we are at the time that we 're there. Uh, and and uh, what I would encourage you to do is just keep an open mind. Uh, our prayer, yours and mine, has been uh, that God would restore 
that marriage relationship. Um, but the reality is God is not going to uh, force her free will uh, to do what he wants her to do. Um, and uh, he also knows it's not good for Greg to be alone, for man to be alone. And uh, so just be open. And and if it were the case where there was a truly a godly woman and you were smitten with her and, and she with you, uh, and she loved God as much as you do, uh, I, I promise you the Spirit would absolutely make it clear to you um, that this is a gift that he's given you. So we hold out and hope for the best, um, but at the same time, um, day by day, we just take it as it comes up. And uh, I've always found, Greg, it's better not to ask God any questions at all. Thank you, dear friend. God bless you and appreciate you calling. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from um, Carrie. Uh, he wants to know: Will people who take the mark of the beast get a second chance in the great tribulation? Carrie, no. One chance when they take the mark of the beast in the great tribulation, they will know what they're doing and they will have made a once and for all choice. I always kind of liken this. You know, we know that there's going to be this this uh, magnitude twenty revival going on in in the great tribulation, but people have to make a choice, and I liken it to the the choice that the angels made uh, when Satan fell. Um, uh, Lucifer fell rather and became Satan and uh, and the angels he took a third of the angels uh, with him they became demons and um, uh, they had one time a one time only choice um, you know they're in the presence of God um, they're, they're accountable so it's not like they can repent and ask to come back it's a one time only choice well in the great tribulation it will be like that and the Antichrist will make it clear that you're swearing allegiance to him and worshiping him by taking the mark of the beast. And there's all kinds of motives for it. You know, you can't eat, you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't function in a world without the mark. That's the way it's going to be in the, in the, especially the last half of the Great Tribulation. But um, they're going to know and they're going to they're going to make that choice and it's going to be too late once they once they make that choice it's not like well i just took it to save my family i took it because we needed to be able to provide um no when they take it they're going to know once and for all that what they've done is abandon jesus christ and pledged allegiance to the devil himself so um no second chances um, kind of a parallel question. This one is from Leo. He says, why is the devil going to be released again after the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth? Uh, Leo, uh, we, we have to remember that there will be multiplied billions, even trillions of people born in a 1,000 years in a restored, not perfect, but in a nearly perfect restored earth. And, and uh, you know, those in their human bodies, the flesh and blood bodies who, who survived the Great Tribulation and will follow Jesus, uh, they're going to be babies and babies and babies born. Now, all of the people who are born in that 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth, um, they will never have had the opportunity to exercise their free will. Jesus is going to rule with an iron scepter. In other words, justice is going to be swift. It's going to be sure. Uh, it's going to be perfect. And when people sin, they will be punished immediately for it, judged immediately. And they have no choice in the matter. Well, God never will force somebody to follow him, uh, to love him. Uh, and so at the end of the Great Tribulation, Satan, who will have been bound for that entire thousand years, is going to be let loose to deceive the people. And basically, he's going to do what he did with the angels. He's going to give them a choice. And sadly, after after a thousand years of perfect righteousness, a perfect reign, so much uh, for those who say, uh, well, you know, we sin because of our environment. It'll be a perfect environment. And he's going to be let loose to deceive the people again 
And the Bible says that the numbers of people that will be deceived by him are like the, the, the grains of sand on the sea. In other words, too numerous to count. And, and God is going to prove, Leo, once and for all, that the problem has always been sin. The problem has always been mankind. We started the show in the first half, somebody asking, uh, why is God allowing all these bad things to happen? Um, God is going to prove that the bad things were always born in the heart uh, of man, in the mind of man. And uh, that's what he's going to do. So uh, people are going to have to make their own free will choice at the end of the great uh, or at the end of the thousand year uh, millennium. Uh, And many are going to choose to reject Jesus Christ. And that's when the lake of fire, Leo, is going to be created. And all of the enemies of God are going to be thrown into the lake of fire where there will be, um, to put it mildly, weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever. Here is a question just called in anonymously to the studio. At my church business meeting, a member made a motion that women should not be allowed to teach men uh, within the church uh, and quoted 1 Timothy 2.12. What are your thoughts on this? Um, um, because I don't have all the information about what happened to church meeting, it's a, it's amazing to me that, that there would have to be a motion about that. 1 Timothy 2.12 uh, is very, very clear, anonymous. Uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. Now, that forbids a woman from the role of a pastor. In any form, a woman cannot be given the title of a pastor. Now, I realize as I say that how foolish that sounds to a lot of you because there are a lot of women who take upon themselves the title of pastor and are in teaching roles. And um, uh, those churches, uh, Anonymous, are out of order. Um, Women simply cannot teach uh, in the role of a pastor. Now, I want to nuance this a little bit. Uh, because there are wonderfully gifted women teachers. We have a bunch of them here at our church. We've been, been really, really blessed. Uh, but they teach women's Bible studies. They get involved in counseling. That's what uh, counseling is, really, is just teaching the Bible uh, one-on-one. And, um, and, and they're very, very gifted at it. But none of those women, because they are gifted Bible teachers, would ever want to be a pastor and take that one thing that God said women can't uh, have in the church. That that one role is the only thing. Now, I will say this as well. Um, I've never had a woman teach from my pulpit uh, on a Sunday. Um, for that matter, I don't think a Wednesday or Friday either. So, but but there are women that I would share my pulpit with uh, as a guest speaker. Um, um, uh, Elizabeth Elliot, when she was alive, I would have had her uh, any time, um, uh, but she would never uh, presume to be a pastor or or take a position of authority. Uh, I think women have a whole lot to offer, and I think that I can envision uh, a time when there would be a woman that I would allow to speak to my church, but only after making it clear that we're here. I, I can tell you right now, Johnny Erickson Tata, if, if she wanted to come to Calvary Chapel, San Antonio, I would give her my pulpit on a Sunday, a Friday, or Wednesday without hesitating. And uh, I would be sure that everybody knew that she was a guest speaker. She has something of value to share, and we all need to hear. And I would be in the front row uh, listening uh, attentively uh, because um, God has put her in a position uh, where she has a lot to offer the body of Christ. But that wouldn't be uh, a regular church uh, Sunday. It wouldn't be uh, from the position of a pastor. Um, uh, I would get heat. There'd be people say, I can't believe you had a woman uh, teaching from your pulpit or preaching from your pulpit. But um, um, Johnny Erickson taught I can come to my pulpit anytime at all, and it would be advertised um, as such. Uh, this is a woman that we need to hear the message that God has given her. Uh, she's earned the right to do that, but never as a pastor anonymous, uh, never uh, from a position of authority in a local church. Um, I hope that makes sense to you. 
I hope that makes sense. You know, we like uh, black and white. Never have a woman on a Sunday. Um, again, Johnny Erickson Tata just is the one that jumps to mind. Uh, she could she could speak to our church at any time. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Let me see if I have time for one more. I got a quick one. If I do, um, Susan asks, "Does by His stripes we are healed?" Promise physical healing. Susan, the answer is no. It says nothing whatsoever about physical healing. Uh, Matthew and Peter both talk about it. It's a fulfillment of the healing from the one fatal disease that we're all going to encounter, and that's the disease of sin, uh, but it has nothing whatsoever. The atonement does not provide a platform at all for physical healing. It's not even speaking about that. And the prosperity teachers that teach that it does, see, if you have enough faith, God will have to heal you. Uh, that is a heresy. And it has caused more damage. So, uh, no, Susan, there is no promise of physical healing in the atonement whatsoever uh, from any perspective. So, thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. It is a real honor that you invite me into your homes, your cars, or wherever it is that you're listening. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May God bless you and keep you. Be safe on the roads tonight. God bless you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.